Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. The Beatles said all you need is love. The Bee Gees asked how deep is your love. Bon Jovi said you give love a bad name. The Eagles said you got the best of my love. Huey Lewis and the News talk about the power of love. On and on we could go. Love. It's a word that's thrown around a lot in our culture, but does our culture really know what true love is? I'm betting no. Love, how do you walk in it as a believer in Jesus Christ? You have to start with defining it and and what it is. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. If you're a regular listener to our program, then you know that we're doing a series entitled Building on the Basics. Pastor Clay is walking us through what are known in the New Testament as the general epistles or letters and looking at the major themes of each letter. In the book or letter of James, it was faith and how to act on it. In First and Second Peter, it was hope and how to live in it. Today, we move into John's letters and the theme of love and how to walk in it. First, second, and third John really encapsulate, I believe, what God's love is, what the ramifications of that are for our lives, how that should look and play out in our lives. I raised the question earlier of whether our culture really knows or understands what true love is. As we make our way through first John and later second and third John, we're going to find that true love, from God's perspective, is inseparable from truth. We're so grateful you've joined us today as we look to God's Word for a better understanding of love and how to walk in it. Now here's Pastor Clay. We're starting a brand new book. We're still in the same series, right? We're building on the basics. Because you've got to get the basics right. I mean, you've got to have the basics right. If I'm going to do the rest of the stuff in my life, I've got to get these foundational truths down in my life. I'm gonna do we built on the basic of faith. We built on the, uh, the basic of hope. And today we're moving into the basic of love, how to walk in love. Can you all say that word? Love. 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 <laughs> got, somebody sounded like a cow. Love. Air Supply said, I'm all out of love. Al Green said, I'm still in love with you. Alicia Keys said, love is my disease. The Allman Brothers talked about crazy love, right? Y'all know that one? Barry White said, I'm so in love with you, baby. That guy's voice was amazing, wasn't it? I feel sorry for people that missed him. The Beatles said, all you need is love. The Bee Gees asked, how deep is your love? Bon Jovi said, you give love a bad name. <laughs> Dean Martin said, everybody loves somebody sometime. Diana Ross and the Supreme said, stop in the name of love. The Eagle said, you got the best of my love. Elvis asked to love me tender. Hank Williams said, I got the lovesick blues. Y'all ever heard that song? Amazing. Amazing. I got the love sick blues. Well, he does it really well. He does it really well. All right? Yeah. Huey Lewis and the News talk about the power of love. Phil Collins talks about a groovy kind of love. On and on we could go. Thousands and thousands of songs about love. I'm sure I forgot plenty, but go ahead. Give it to me, Joe. There you go. <laughs> there are so many. I, there are just so many. <laughs> Okay, all right, come on, what do we got? 
I thought I was doing good remembering 16, so come on, what do you got? Uh, Hollywood, there's no shortage in Hollywood of, of uh, love-based mo- movies having to do with romance and love romance novels. Millions of copies are sold every year. We talk about love a lot in our culture. But I wonder if our culture really understands what true love is. I'm betting no. Today, we start into 1 John, the first letter of John. I'm going to give you some background in a minute. But 1 and 2 and 3 John are about a lot of things, but there's, there's certainly an emphasis on, on love, on love as God understands love, what that means and what its implications are for our life. Now, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, they're certainly not the only books or letters in the Bible that deal with love. In fact, the entire Bible really is one gigantic love letter to you and me. It really is. But 1, 2, and 3 John um, encapsulate, in, in, in really in a very short period of time, really encapsulate, I believe, what, what God's love is, what, what the ramifications of that are for our lives, how that should look and play out in our lives. And so I think this is really an important study. Love, walk in it. How do you walk in it as a believer in Jesus Christ? You have to start with defining it and and what it is. So we're going to work on some of that over the next few weeks, okay? Y'all are very, very kind, very patient with me to allow me to to do what I do. I truly, I never take it for granted. I've been been doing this for 20 years now or or maybe more, but I, I love what I get to do. Uh, which is teach the Word of God. And to those, that, and I know, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to stay awake or to make application for your life, but, but I, I like to do what God called me to do. I, I really do. Let, let's talk about the, uh, the author. Uh, uh, several uh, ideas have been put forward. Uh, speculation has been made about who the author of First, Second, and Third John uh, is uh, I, I'm not going to run through them all today. I'll simply say this, that it is my uh, belief that the best external and internal evidence points to the fact that John, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, is the author of First John, 2nd and 3rd John as well. The disciple, as he referred to himself in the Gospel of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, <clears throat> is the author of First. Second and third John. Let's talk about when it was written. Somewhere between 90 and 100 AD, almost certainly, somewhere between 90 and 100 AD, in the, just before the end of the first century. And it's, that may, it's a 10 year spread, I understand, but it could have been anywhere in there, quite honestly. We know that John was exiled to the island of Patmos in 94 AD, where he wrote the book of. Revelation, good job, where he wrote the book of Revelation, but there's evidence that uh, after his time on Patmos that John was released for a period of time where uh, he died sometime later in the city of Ephesus, which almost certainly was the, the city uh, where the, this letter was penned. So it could have been written before John was exiled to Patmos, it could have been written after John was exiled to Patmos, but somewhere in there the letter was written. Now, 
Who gives a rip? <laughs> right? I mean, I mean that's, uh, that's, that's a, sometimes a standard response that you might get. It's, you know, come on. That was 2,000 years ago. Who, who cares uh, who wrote it? Who, who cares uh, where it was written or when it was written? What, what, what's the point? The point is, I would like to give you an historical context in which to work from Here's why. Here's why this is important. So that you understand that this wasn't some made-up, these weren't some made-up stories in a made-up book about some made-up characters. These were real flesh-and-blood people who had their own struggles, had their own issues, had their ups, had their downs, who were trying to just live day by day, do the best they could, and in a very real sense, live in a culture as we do today that plays fast and loose with truth. And John has a lot to say about truth while he's talking about love. And as we're going to discover, truth and love are inseparable concepts. And so I take the time to help set the stage so that you understand that this, this is real. These were real people. These were real issues. These were things that were going on that needed to be addressed. Uh, and early an early uh, manuscript of the church called the, the Muraturian Fragment states that the reason that John wrote this, that he wrote this letter at the request of, uh, the quote from the Muraturium is, fellow believers and bishops, that they asked John to write uh, this letter. The reason why will kind of come clear as we make our way through uh, the books, but let me just start by saying that toward the end of the first century, there was beginning to be a rise in heretical teachings uh, in and around and within the church itself. Um, and if I could, if I could summarize, I would say uh, that it began to to uh, there was a rise in what came to be known as Gnosticism. There were different flavors and branches and and maybe particular focuses of of different strains of it but but gnosticism comes from it comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge Gnosticism was the belief that 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 the disciples had had left a a secret knowledge that 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 a lot of the church or most of the church or maybe all the church didn't have this secret knowledge, but the Gnostics claimed that they had it they got it somewhere they picked it up they that somewhere they got this secret knowledge, and so uh, they, were, they were the only ones that had this knowledge. And, and, if, and if you wanted this knowledge, you had to come to them. You had to play by their rules and, and play their game and, and all that kind of stuff. And truly, literally, and maybe you're saying, well, I don't really care. But, but truly, literally, the very foundation, the, the theological foundation of the church was at stake. And so you can understand why they would want John to write this, these letters because he very likely was the last remaining original disciple at that point. He's probably the last one still alive at this point and he is in a particularly good position to stand up and say, whoa, whoa, now, now wait a minute, boys. <laughs> Let me clarify a few things that y'all are teaching. Let's straighten some of this out. And so they asked John, uh, to write these letters, and he begins to write the letters. You ready? Open your Bibles to First John. First John, chapter one. Uh, if you're not sure where that is, start at the back, and where you got Revelation, uh, Jude, Third John, Second John, First John. You'll be there. Okay, if it's easier, start at the back. Do y'all, did any of y'all ever have trouble finding books in your Bible? I still do sometimes, but but I can remember, man, when I first came to Christ, I I didn't know. I didn't know nothing. <laughs> I didn't know 
dude from Jehoshaphat or anybody else. I didn't know any of, them, any of those dudes. And you know what my wife did? My wife bought me a Bible. She bought me a, a NIV King James Parallel. Had both past, uh, translations uh, in there. And she bought me these tabs that I could, now I guess a lot of Bibles have, but these tabs that I could stick in the Bible so that I could find where's, where's First John. And I could look them up that way. So I'll tell you all that. <laughs> First John. The text will be up on the screen as well. Chapter 1, uh, hopefully all of chapter 1 we'll be dealing with today. We're going to read it beginning in verse 1. Here we go. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested To us, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from, I'm sorry, what's that next word? All. Say, aren't you glad that all is in there? If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, what's that word there? All unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You pray with me this morning, Uh, Father, uh, God in heaven, uh, how uh, blessed, how hallowed is your name. You are holy. You are unlike any other. You are perfect in, in, in every way. We would have no right whatsoever to even dare to think that we could approach your presence were it not for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. You made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God. How do we thank you for that? I guess we could spend the rest of our lives just trying to show it show appreciation, not to earn our salvation, not to earn your respect, not to earn your favor, but just purely in gratitude for what you have done for us. Today, uh, we we grapple in a world that uh, does, as I said earlier, play fast and loose with the truth. And things are changing so fast, it seems, in the world around us. And one of the things that certainly has been perverted and distorted and changed is love, understanding what love is from your perspective. God, I pray for your wisdom as we make our way through First John and Second John and Third John, uh, that, that you would just fill us with your wisdom and knowledge, that you would use me. I truly am honored and, and just uh, so grateful to be your messenger boy uh, today for this, uh, this first chapter of John's uh, first letter. God, may you speak in and to 
us and change us through and through that we might walk in the light as you are in the light and thereby display truly that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for each person who's here, each person who watched this message or listened to this message. I pray you'd bless their lives in a special way today in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you. There's a few ideas I want to share with you this morning from 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to start with this idea today. Love came down because we are the proof. If you, are, if you happen to be familiar with the Gospel of John, another one of John's books. By the way, I didn't say this earlier, but uh, counting 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, include the Gospel of John, uh, include the book of Revelation. That means five of the New Testament books, five of the 27 New Testament books, were written by the Apostle John. That makes him second only to the Apostle Paul in contribution to the New Testament. But if you're familiar with the introduction to the Gospel of John, okay, we know that we understand the difference, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. If you're familiar with that, you know, you'll see some similarities, some striking, really, similarities between the way the Gospel of John opens and the way 1 John opens. In John uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1 and verse 14, we find these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. We saw it. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here in 1 John, John starts with a similar idea. He starts with talking about the eternal existence of the, of the Word, the, the living Word with the Father. And then uh, John, as the way he puts it here in 1 John, John says that the Word was manifest. It was manifested to us. Uh, the, the Word basically just means to reveal. It was, the Word was revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He was, he was manifest. He came into our midst, right? And John says, uh, he says, listen, uh, this, I want you to understand this because and he's dealing with some heresies. We'll talk about maybe some of this this morning. But he's, he's wanting to make clear that everybody understands, those who read it then and those who read it now, that he was an eyewitness. He was a personal this personal experience of his life. So that he says, I think I've got it emphasized uh, there back in First John, uh, in chapter, uh, in verse 1, he says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld, our hands handled concerning the word of life. Do you have a similarity between that and, and John chapter 1? But notice what he says. What, what was from the beginning, it already was, what we have heard, we heard it. Notice how he's dealing with the senses. What we have seen with our eyes, and then notice how he kind of repeats it, what we have beheld. The word beheld basically carries the idea of uh, to, to gaze upon, to, to ponder, to study. In other words, he's saying this wasn't just like, hey, how's it going? This wasn't a, this wasn't a passing glance. This wasn't just a, a chance encounter, just a casual kind of thing. No, what our hands handled, the word handled carries the idea of, of touch, we, we, we saw him, we heard him, we, we touched him, we walked with him. I'm here to tell you that we are the, the witnesses of this thing. We are the proof that this thing is true, that Jesus Christ was with the Father eternally and he took on flesh, he became a man, and love came down. And we saw it, we're the proof. Listen, you want to ask this or that, ask that person or that person? I'm telling you, those of us who are there, we saw it, we're the proof of this thing. Listen, can I remind you of this? And, and, and this came up, by the way, 
back when we were in uh, Peter, when we were in 1 Peter chapter 5, this came up because Peter alluded to the fact that he was an eyewitness of the, uh, uh, of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that, that he was there, that he was uh, a part of that. But I just say this to remind you again this morning that, that still to this day, there, there is little to nothing more effective or more powerful in a court of law than eyewitness testimony. I've mentioned this guy uh, before. I think it's been a while, but I've mentioned this guy before. He's one of my heroes of the faith. But uh, a, a, a man by the name of Simon Greenleaf was a professor of royal, his chair, oh, sat on the chair, I guess, uh, the royal professor of law at uh, Harvard University. Uh, Greenleaf was at best a skeptic about the claims of Christianity. Some of you may have heard of Simon Greenleaf before. He wrote a very famous book as a result of what took place. But he was a skeptic at best, about the claims of Christianity until uh, one of his classes challenged him to put the, the reality of Jesus Christ, his, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, to put it on trial based on only evidence that would be admissible in a court of law. That was the only, only thing that could be used, evidence that would be admissible in a court of law. And Simon Greenleaf became a believer and follower of Jesus Christ as a result of that academic exercise. Is professor of law at Harvard. And Simon Greenleaf uh, said this. He said, the foundation of our belief is a basis of fact. The fact of the birth, ministry, miracles, death, resurrection by the evangelist. The, the, the fact that they reported, the evangelist meaning the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, by the evangelist as having actually occurred within their own personal knowledge... It was therefore impossible that they could have persisted in affirming the truths they have narrated had not Jesus actually rose from the dead and had they not known this fact as certainly as they knew any other fact. And then he goes on to say, our religion then rests on the credit due to these witnesses, these eyewitnesses who were there. Simon Greenleaf says it's impossible that they could have kept this story up, that they could have been so consistent on the story, and that in the face of persecution, in the face of imprisonment, in the face of torture, in the face of death, they never recanted, they never changed their story. And Greenleaf, as his professor of law, says it would have been impossible for them to do that unless it actually was their experience. I, I think that's good. But... In case you're not excited about that, let me give you another Simon Greenleaf quote. He said, either the men of Galilee were men of superlative wisdom. And remember, most of them are fishermen and, and just guys like that. They were either men of superlative wisdom and extensive knowledge and experience and of deeper skill in the arts of deception than any and all others before them or after them. Or they have truly stated astonishing things which they saw and heard. He said, Guys, we're, we're the proof of this. We saw it. We saw him. We touched him. We were there. We were part of it. Listen, I, I've said this for years, and I'll continue to say it to anybody that is actually open to the evidence and open to listening. No one will die for a lie that they know is a lie when it has no benefit. For the, you understand what I'm saying? Plenty of people have died for a lie, Right? The, the, those guys that, that flew those planes into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and into the ground in Pennsylvania, they died for a lie. They, they really thought that when they woke up, they'd, they'd be in heaven with 70 virgins uh, taking care of their every need. I mean, that's, that's what they believed. It's a lie, but they believed it. 
Plenty of people have died for a lie, but people will not die for a lie that they know is a lie if it has no benefit for them, which this had no benefit for them. I'll say it again. Imprisoned, beaten, tortured, put to death, and not a single one of them ever recanted the story. They all continued to insist, this is true. We were there. We saw it. You you can kill me, but it's just true. By the way, if you've seen the guy come back to life, Death kind of loses its sting. You know what I'm saying? If you've seen the guy you're following come back to life, you can be pretty assured that you're not going to stay dead long. (laughs) We are the witnesses of this thing. We saw this thing. I got got a lot to say, and and I got to move on. But but let 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 me just give you one more Simon Greenleaf quote, and then we'll go on. He says, A person who rejects Christ may choose to say that I do not accept it. He may not choose to say there's not enough evidence. Now, I don't know if every person listening to this or here today uh, is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you truly examine the evidence, you cannot say that you don't believe because of a lack of evidence. What Simon Greenleaf is saying, this, this professor of law. That you may say that, you may choose to say, nah, it's not for me. I reject it. I don't want it. I don't like it. I don't need it. But you cannot say that you're rejecting it because there's not enough evidence. John says, we are the proof of this thing. And you and I can build our lives on that certainty and we can trust our eternal destiny to that fact. Love came down. Here's the second idea uh, this morning. Love came down because he had a purpose. Verse 3 and 4, let me read again real quick. He says, what... Uh, We have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John repeats again that we're, we're the eyewitnesses. We saw this thing. We saw it happen. And then he says, now we're sharing it with all of you. We want all of you to know it. And then here it comes. Here, here, comes, the, here comes the purpose. Look what he says in the latter part of the uh, verse 3. He says, that you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You get it? He says, here's the purpose. It's, it's love came down so that you and I could have fellowship, could have relationship with the living God. The word fellowship is, is koinonia. It's, it's, much, it's, it's, it's an intimacy. It's a closeness. It's a, it's a relationship. It's not a religion. Somebody ought to say that. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's about this close-knit, again, not, not just a casual, hey, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Or it's not a... It's not a partnership. It's much more than that. It's this intimate thing. And love came down for that very purpose, ladies and gentlemen, so that you and I could have fellowship, so that you and I could have a relationship with the living God. And I'm just going to tell you right now, that ought to blow your mind. Get uh, Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 20. Listen. This is Jesus speaking. Listen, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into his home and share a meal with him and he with me. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a relationship. That sounds like this ongoing personal thing. Don't, don't you love that? Do you love that about 
I know relationships, whether it's family or friends or whatever, I know we can sometimes get sideways with each other or, or we can misunderstand each other, right? We're human. I understand all of that stuff. But, but don't you just love it when, when you have this, this person that you, that you know is there for you, that you can talk to, that you can lean on, that you can be loved by and, and loves you? You understand what I'm saying? And, and this, this is what it says. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. It's a present continuous tense. And I'll, I'll come in. Love came down because he had a purpose, and that purpose was so that we could have a relationship with the living God. Um, I do not, this is probably going to, this is probably going to sound sacrilegious uh, to some of you. I don't mean it to sound that way, it's probably going to sound sacrilegious to some of you. But the creator of the universe wants to be your friend. That doesn't diminish who he is as God Almighty. That does not elevate us to to. His stature does not make us gods. But God had a purpose in coming down. And that purpose was so that we could have this fellowship. You understand? God wasn't lonely. God wasn't needy. God wasn't lacking in anything. God simply chose to make this possible. John uh, chapter 15 says this. I no longer call you servants because servants does not know what his master is doing. But I call you, say it, friends. I call you friends. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. Because I have made known to you everything I heard from my Father. Love came down because he had a purpose. Now, watch how it unfolds. Third, love came down because we have a, say it, problem. Houston, we have a problem. Verse 5 and 6 This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. That God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. It's probably fairly obvious just just in even a casual reading of this text. But... Uh, but in Scripture and, and even, even culturally, historically, light is associated with, with goodness. Light is associated with purity. Light is associated with holiness, godliness. Light is associated with God himself. Darkness is associated with, with evil. Uh, darkness is associated with sin. Darkness is associated with, with wrongdoing. Do you see the problem yet? Again, it says in the latter part of verse 5, In him... There is no darkness at all. At all. God is pure. God is holy. God is light. You and I are not. We are not. And so there is a problem. You and I can say, a person could say, me and God are okay. Me Me and God are all right. But John says, if you're not walking in that light that God is, if, 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 if his light has not been manifested to you, it's a lie. You're, you're still in darkness, no matter what you think. It's a lie. Yeah, a person might say, and I've had people say this to me, I'm okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm a pretty good person. Sometimes they'll hedge a little, I'm a pretty good person. I try to do the right thing. I, I'm trying to be a good father or a good mother. I'm trying to raise my kids right. I'm, I try, I'm an honest worker. I try and, you know, put in a good day. Where, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And can I say this? I'm sure that is true. By our standards, I'm sure that that is true. I'm sure by our standards, you are a far better person than I am. And, and it'll probably get you membership in the Kiwanis Club or, or something like that. But here's the problem. God doesn't measure by our standard. 
And he doesn't allow access to his home, to heaven, based on our standard. He sets that standard. He is the only one who sets that standard. So, in case you are thinking that, in case you're thinking, well, you know, I'm, come on, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Let's, let's see what God has to say about the idea of how good a person you and I actually are. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 64, says this. All of us are dirty with, say it, sin. All the right things that we have done. In other words, well, I, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to be the right person. I, I'm not... I, He's not saying doing good things are wrong. He's just saying that if that's what you think is going to gain you God's approval, they're like filthy pieces of cloth. All of us are like dead leaves and our sins like the wind carried us away. Yeah. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even say it. One, not even one. A direct quote, by the way, of Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. There is none righteous. Well, I'm a pretty good person. No, no, really, you're not. Not by God's standards. And neither am I. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 23. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Do you see the problem? Romans chapter 6, first part of verse uh, 23. You get what is coming to you when you sin. It is, say it, death. Not just physical death, by the way. It's it's carrying the idea of eternal separation from God. The eternal God. Completely and totally secluded from him for all of eternity. Say it again. Houston, we have a problem. Because how can we ever expect to, to gain access to this, this light, this purity, this holiness. If there is sin in us, if, if we walk in darkness, what hope could I be if there's no chance of me being able to do anything about it? Which scripture is quite clear that there is nothing I can do about it. You ready? <laughs> Here's the answer. Love came down because he had a plan. He had a plan. Look, look how John is walking us through this and just reminding us of things that, that maybe you already know, but he's emphasizing it to us again and again and again. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John says that the, the evidence of, of this relationship with God is that you walk in the light. And he's not talking about, you know, okay, uh, you know, do all the do's, stay away from all the don'ts. He's not talking about just a, a list of rules and regulations. I've known plenty of people. Have y'all known people like that? There's like, as long as, you know, oh, I would, oh, I would never. Yeah, but you've done plenty of other stuff, right? He's not just talking about the do's and don'ts and staying away from that kind of stuff. He, what he's talking about is a changed experience. A person who is moved by the power of God to no longer, no longer be led by the, the darkness of their own flesh. Does that make, do y'all know what I'm saying? Have y'all ever been led by the darkness of your own flesh? Boy, I have. To no longer be led by the darkness of your own flesh, but to now walk in this light, in the, in, in the power of this God. Who, but, but how can that be? If the problem is that, that we're, we're sin-cursed and, and, and we have a sin nature, how can this be? There's those, those lovely words uh, there in verse 7. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from, say it, there's that word again, all 
sin. That's how it's possible, ladies and gentlemen. That's how it's possible. God had this plan that would make it possible for his, yours and my sin to be forgiven. John is probably, by the way, uh, probably uh, beginning to address one of the heresies that was beginning to surface within the context of the church. It is a heresy, uh, by the way, that uh, still exists to some extent in certain circles uh, within the church uh, today. And it, it is known as perfectionism. It is the idea that uh, a, a person who is a believer in God and follows God, that as they grow in that in their knowledge of God and their understanding of God as they grow in that, that they can reach a point where they simply become perfect. They, they no longer sin. They, they no longer engage in, in the acts of the flesh. They, they reach a state of perfection. <laughs> Case closed. Is there any need to go any further? No, really. Take a look in the mirror at ourselves. Right? Listen, listen. Here, here's, here's the truth. As we grow in Christ, yes, we should sin less. The Spirit of God should, should help us conquer what used to be called besetting sins or, or things that just kind of pull at us. Or, or, we should begin to, to see victories in our lives over, over sinful actions of our lives. We should sin less, but I'm telling you on the authority of God's Word, this side of heaven, we will never reach sinlessness. We'll never reach a place where we never sin. Now listen to me. Woo! Because sometimes people are like, that's right, that's right. I'm, I'm never, I'm, I'm I'm never going to, because I hear that all the time. Well, you know, I'm not perfect. This is not a license to sin. What he's saying, this is not a license to sin. Now, now he's going to address that farther on in his letters. But what he's saying is, is that if, if you're thinking that you've got managed to put this all together and, and you got your act together and you never lust or, or greedy or covet or, or gossip or, or get angry or lie or if you think you're going to you come to some place where that none of that ever happens in your life again well you've just proven that you can't get there because you're lying it just it just doesn't happen but but so which is why he said look, notice in this this double emphasis in verse 8 he says if we can in verse 8 in verse 8 he says if we say that we have no sin we're deceiving ourselves if we say that we have no sin, we're, you're, you're just fooling yourself. The truth is not in you. If you think you're saying, oh, I've arrived, I'm, I'm perfect. And then again in verse 10, the, the double emphasis in verse 10. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We make him a liar because he says that we have sinned. We are sinners. But sandwiched in between that double emphasis is this great and glorious and precious promise of verse 9 that says if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from say it all unrighteousness thank you lord is exactly right by the way cleanse in in verse 7 is a present continuous tense verb it is the reason that you and i don't fall in and out of grace quite honestly and i know there are people that believe that it is the reason that you don't have to die on a good day you know what I'm saying? Because you are kept by the power of God. The blood of Christ is cleansing us from all sin in our lives. God had a plan. From the very beginning, God had a plan. Now, let me say this. Close. This ought to blow your mind too. It blows mine every time I think about it. God put this plan together before the world was ever even created.
Now think about what that means now. Before you just gloss over it, think about what that means. That means that he created us, he created you, knowing that he would have to die for you. Knowing that we would turn his back on him and he would have to allow our stripes to be put on his back. Knowing that he would be rejected by men so that men could be accepted by God. Knowing that he would take our death so that we could have his life. Love came down, ladies and gentlemen. And it was God's plan from the very beginning to make this a reality for you and me. And I'll say it again, not because he was lacking, not because he was lonely, not because he was missing anything, not because he needed some group of people to worship him. He certainly deserves worship, but he didn't do it for any of those things. He did it for the greatest motivation of all. Love, love came down. Pastor Clay is right. Love really has come down. As we heard today, John, the disciple of Jesus, wanted his readers to understand that they were eyewitnesses to Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection. They were changed as a result of what they had experienced. The same should be true for us. We are sinners. That's why love came down, to redeem us. But as a result of trusting Christ, we should come out of the darkness and walk in the light. That's a theme John is going to repeat again and again. God's plan all along was to rescue us, not just from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin over our lives. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed.
a new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.